This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Lendit Fintech. I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, as always, Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good, Peter. How are you? Doing great. And our special guest today is none other than Kat Utech uh, from Core Innovation. How are you doing, Kat? Doing well. Happy to be back. Thank you, Peter and Todd. Okay, to yeah. have you back. It's been a while. So, we are all—all all three of us uh, just came back from Money Twenty Twenty, uh, where there was uh, there was some. Uh, you know, it was a good event. I think it was great to be back in person at a fintech event. I had a blast, and uh, I think uh, I know you guys did as well. But let's let's kick it off with the news, um, and this one has nothing to do with uh, what happened at Money Twenty Twenty, but Newbank. Newbank is the largest digital bank on the planet when it comes to buy number of customers. And uh, they are finally, they're inching their way closer to an IPO. What we found out is that they have filed um, confidentially for an IPO. So we don't actually know any details yet. Um, but they, uh, we do know that they filed in both the US and in Brazil, talking about a potential public listing by the year end. Um, the last valuation was around 30, but that was a while ago. In, and in fintech time, that <laughs> who knows what the valuation is going to be now. But uh, anyway, you bank as a public company. What do you guys think? Awesome. I don't know. Fintech keeps going up and to the right in the US, everywhere, kind of around the world. I know I'm excited. I'm excited to watch a lot about what's going on in LATAM. And there's a lot of, you know, I spoke to a lot of people um, at the conference and they're, they're focused there. And then, I mean, you might've even seen QED just is hiring someone in Africa. So yep. I think it's great to see FinTech expand globally because it, it is global. And I think just like crypto in general is global to have banks like come out and they can be global. That's great. But I think new bank has so much potential um, and again, not just like in Brazil and in South America, but eventually around the world. So I'm excited to to go through their S1. Yeah. That's what I'm most interested about is, is where else they could potentially go. Uh, I mean, they've you know clearly made their mark in LATAM. Uh, they haven't done as good in Mexico as maybe they probably had hoped, but you know, they, they're only there um only maybe a year or two uh, so yep. i'm sure they'll get to the point that they want to um but where else they would go is is more interesting to me whether it be other emerging markets um you know potentially the u.s uh, and we haven't really seen one of those outside the u.s digital banks really take off in the u.s um you know it's been mostly european based uh digital banks that have had like you know i guess a little bit success uh, but we haven't seen them come here and then just take off. Revolut's kind of middled around. Uh, N26 has had a little success, but we haven't seen um, one from outside the U.S. Um, have that type of success. And, and maybe New Bank's the one that eventually will do it, though I suspect they'll probably go emerging market elsewhere in the world before yep. venturing into the U.S. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the, the US is a, probably a long way away, but my, my, my perspective, I think, you know, they still got other places in Latin America they can go. Yeah, for sure. You know, there is, uh, you know, Colombia, which is where David Velez, the CEO and co-founder is from. Um, I know they've started there. I don't think there's really much traction yet, but um, they've got, and there's, there's, there's lots of other places. And I think, I mean, I, I just continue to be more and more impressed with New Bank as time goes mm-hmm. by. They continue to execute their... The, the the fact that they spend virtually nothing on customer acquisition in Brazil is astounding to me. They they some of their metrics are, are really incredible. Like as like you said, Kat, I can't wait to dig into their S one to get some of these, get some of the data which has remained elusive um, for all of us for many years. But but do you think in, it could you know before Ant you know the whole mess with China um, happened? I think it was valued or rumored to be valued at like 150 billion do you think new bank could get that high i do i think i can get that high i think um they they have i mean i don't i don't think it's obscene to think so i agree no no but i mean i think they'll probably go i mean they're they're i think they'll probably go out at a valuation i mean maybe kat you probably got a better guess than me but they went out i I think they'll go out at a plus 50 billion dollar valuation to start off with and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think like the largest Brazilian bank, um, you know, is worth over a hundred billion dollars, and I don't see why they can't be bigger than the largest uh, bank. So I think I just yep. looked; it was like maybe like three hundred fifty billion dollars. So why why not be that big? Yeah, yep, agreed. So speaking of big digital banks doing an IPO in the near future, Chime, this was uh, this came out in Forbes, I think it was late Friday or early Saturday. Um, it uh, Talking about going public, they're, they're targeting March of 2022, apparently. Um, they're talking a valuation of 35 to 45 billion. And just to put this in perspective, I went and looked at a, a, a chart that had the valuations of the top 50 banks globally. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, forty-five billion dollar valuation, which is what you know, UBank might have, Chime might have. That puts them well inside the top, uh, the top fifty globally as far as uh, valuation of of banks. So, you're talking about some serious, serious enterprise. The thing that I, I was actually surprised, um, they they may hit a billion dollars in revenue this year. I didn't think they were uh, they were that close to it. But um, nine hundred million to a billion dollars is what they're saying in this in this piece. So. You know, we're going to have New Bank and Chime certainly within probably six months both be public companies. And uh, you know, Chime is by far the largest digital bank in the U.S. and New Bank is by far the largest digital bank in outside the U.S. So uh, it's, it's it's going to be interesting times. Yeah, I think um, just just knowing a bunch of the team there, I think they've they've established themselves as an awesome challenger bank, uh, and they also have so many new innovations that are coming. So I'm excited about how big that they really can be. I think they've just cracked the surface, right? They started with debit, added some credit. There's so many other things that they can add, and they really know how to serve a customer base that has long been ignored by most U.S. banks and really treat them well. So a lot more of like um, you know low and moderate income moderate income type of customers so i'm really excited about one the 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 mission of what they're doing and then two all the places that they can expand and they have the right people to do it yeah yeah i think that that's the the most interesting piece about the the customer base of chime Mm -hmm. and new bank what they look like versus the customer base of whether it's the biggest Mm -hmm. bank in brazil or chase or or bank of Mm -hmm. america uh and just that inclusion aspect of how many more people are in the system uh, at the lower ends of the economic ladder uh, that are now using 
um, you know, their tools uh, and either getting themselves in on a more stable financial footing or, or just finally having access to stuff um, that they never had access to before. Uh, and that dynamic and the valuation and, and all those things playing out versus how a traditional bank's been valued and who their customers are. It's a, it's a pretty interesting uh, contrast uh, to where the two challengers are and, and where the traditional banks are. And what'll be interesting to see is if that customer base has long been ignored, right? And people constantly talk about embedded fintech, embedded insurance. What other products will Chime be able to sell besides debit, besides credit? Will they get into some insurance? Like what are what will they cross sell? And we've watched SoFi be able to cross sell so many other things. So I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see if it becomes uh, uh, kind of like that Amazon of financial services for yeah. the moderate income market. I mean, they, they they probably should do brokerage and uh, have stock trading on there. If uh, you know, that's uh, that's certainly something that they they could offer. And I think, you know, I was just I was I was chatting with Frank Rotman earlier today, and we were talking about digital banks and like talking about the displacement. Mm-hmm. So, how long is it going to be? What 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 is the top ten most valuable digital banks? Gonna, most top ten valuable banks, you know, going to look like in uh, in ten years' time? Will it be half fintech? Will it be? you know, three quarters fintech. It's certainly going to be some because we're not far off right now. And, uh, you know, you look at, um, you know, I, 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 I think about Tesla sometimes where I think it's, I, I read this morning that it was valued that the next nine largest automakers are um, still not, they're still the, add up the total valuation. They're less than Tesla today. I don't know if we're going there in financial services, but you know, it clearly is. I mean, we don't really have an Elon Musk in financial services uh, for when it comes to uh, FinTech. Anyway. Elon Musk was in financial services. He was like the original. I know. He was. Yep. Guy. Uh, I don't know. And maybe Chris Britt will be our Elon Musk. Yeah. Also. Yeah. He needs to get out there more. I don't see him enough on uh, on TV and uh, and the radio and that one the podcast rather. On well, let's hope he start, doesn't doesn't start antagonizing people on Twitter like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay, let's move along. Um, we're now going to talk about another very another two very large fintech companies doing a partnership: Stripe and Klarna. This uh, came out earlier this week, which I think is really interesting. Where you know Stripe obviously. The most valuable fintech company there is, um, uh, probably in the planet uh, now that uh, Ant Financial is not as valuable as they used to be. But um, Stripe offering now they're going to be able to have uh, Klarna buy now pay later options for any Stripe merchant, and there are huge numbers of those. And this is, I, I think this is a, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty logical step for Stripe, but a huge win for Klarna because they, they even said it's the biggest partnership to date. I mean, there's been a there's been a lot of activity in the buy now pay later space, and there are these companies are looking to grow. But I feel like, um, you know, it it's for Klarna. This is a, this is a huge deal. It's funny coming away from where we all just were at Money Twenty Twenty. I noticed more credit card stuff <laughs> at Money Twenty Twenty. Yet in the last six months, it's all been about buy now pay later, buy now pay yep. later, buy now pay later. And you go to the, uh, an event, and it's all next-gen credit card. Um, depending on, you know, it was like probably five, six, seven companies that yep. I, I didn't know as well uh, in terms of, you know, maybe heard a couple of them. But it's interesting the dynamic playing out in that credit card type space, which I think by now pay leaders is somewhat affiliated with, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, you know, the, the dynamic between the buy now pay later offerings and now the, the new credit card offerings. 
Yeah. And I, whenever we evaluate it, I do think it's in a similar space. I understand why the, some of the valuations for or all the valuations of buy now, pay laters are, are higher than just pure credit. Um, uh, however, I mean, uh, that's what a customer has an option to, right? Like, and when you're checking out that button, you have a, you have many choices. And so, you know, what's the psychology about what you choose and, and how, I think it's huge for them to have the partnership with, B with Stripe. And I wonder what other people we might see go and partner with other buy now pay later providers uh, to offer that as a service. And I think one of the interesting questions is like, how is, how are consumers really going to choose? Um, and can they really figure out like, what is the best product? Are they better off being in something where they might have equal installments? Or are they better off being more in like a, a monthly payment type product? product. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know, it's an interesting question, but I do like a lot of these buy now, pay later with like the zero dollars down, you don't owe interest for several months. Uh, so the more credit that, that, that more credit choices that come out, I think is just better for, uh, for consumers and businesses. Yeah. We're going to get to a point like when you, when you go to check out, are you going to have like five options? Um, that's going to be, that, there, there is a limit. There is a limit to what the consumer can bear when you have too much choice. Yeah, well, we, and I can't, it's in stealth, but we have a company that's actually like, you know what, it will actually automatically decide what you should do based on what will end up being the cheapest in the end for you, or maybe that gives you the biggest rewards to choose. So I think, and if, if you read Matt Harris's um, article about decentralized finance, I think the future yep. is there are all these options. And then some, like your one card will automatically choose, okay, for you and your financial situation now, this is the best thing to do. Yep. And that I feel like where the whole financial as the financial health aspect of, of all of that is really interesting as well. Where I mean, when we're, you know, uh, there should be really a, an aggregation because a lot of people now have a buy, have buy now, pay later with Klarna, with Firm, with, uh, with Afterpay, with Sezzle. And they're all, you know, they're all kind of separate. There needs to be, there needs to be uh, an aggregation layer. And, uh, and there's, there also, there needs to be like more, at least start to have some uniformity on how it's reported. Uh, well, I think that's not a, everyone's like reporting yeah. to the credit bureau. Yeah, you know, they're definitely going to report your bad payments, <laughs> but doesn't necessarily report everything. Uh, Agreed. So think, there should be, I think, standard rules everyone reports to help yeah. build people's credit. I think we'll see all that standardization uh, start to come. I think, though, if you had like an automatic solution behind you, they can choose because, you know, all these, whether you're, if you're in a firm, they might want someone with a higher FICO score than if you're with, you know, some other companies that I know. And so you'll, your card will ever be like, oh, okay, you can, you can use this or you can't use this and they'll know your best options for you. I think that's probably easier than having a consumer go through like 20 options. Right, yeah. right. Okay, let's move on. Um, I want to talk about Visa. And this is an article in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week. Uh, the Justice Department is probing Visa's relationship with uh, two different fintech companies, uh, two very large companies. Firstly, the first one is PayPal, um, talking about Visa offering. I, I mean, when I read the article, I thought, well, what's, what's there to really – Go on here. They're basically offering financial incentives for PayPal to use the Visa rails. I thought that was that's what would be expected Visa would do. The same thing with Cash App, like um, with Cash App um, Square, obviously offering the similar sort of things where they're providing, you know, they're, they're really making sure that these companies are using the Visa rails. Uh, apparently, the there's this is antitrust. I don't know. Um, I don't, I'm not a lawyer, but um, I feel like. There's not. I didn't feel like there was anything here when I read the article. 
Yeah, they were also looking at the connection with Stripe too. Uh, I mm-hmm. think the bigger thing is is the from what at least the way I read it and the way the article seemed to be it was the disincentives to you know go elsewhere. You're basically, you know, I guess, what they're saying is that they're you know in a way bad mouthing other other networks uh, through these things and and that way that the the whoever the company is. Um, you know, would not go to the other merchant. I mean, but I agree. Some of this doesn't seem to be very obvious right now. Yeah, I think some of it, though, I wonder how much when they were doing the investigation to Visa and Plaid that they yeah. ran into other sorts of information. And then even though maybe they shouldn't use it, they're inspired to go after them for certain behaviors. My guess is there's probably a lot more behind this article than than than, than what we probably can see. Yeah, Because I agree from here, it's like, okay, like, so they're competitive. Like people have marketing incentives all the time for this stuff. What's the big deal? But that would be. This is like just the first. This is just the first volley. Like here, right. here we're just putting it out there. Here's there's something going on, uh, and then in a few months later we'll f- start to find some details behind. Um, and then I'm sure they'll you know probably settle and and pay some sort of fine and move on. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, you know, there's um, I look at I, I look at the, what Plaid was doing. You know, the whole. Plaid, because Plaid now have a payment mechanism that they they announced, I think, last week, um, and yep. that that's bypassing the visa rails. Um, so, and I think that was, who, I mean, that that to me is maybe, I mean, who knows? But I feel like Visa wanted Plaid for that is how I looked at it the whole time when I when I first saw. It. That's what Visa wanted. So when people when people connect to bank accounts, they can still use kind of Visa can still make money to uh, you know to get in. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's if we talk about Visa. We're going to talk about Mastercard, but in a completely different. Uh, this is this is this is news that came out of Money Twenty Twenty. Um, Mastercard have are doing a partnership with Bact. That's B A K K T, the crypto company. There, uh, this is a, a partnership where basically, from the way I, I gather, and I um, I never did get to to talk to the Bact people or the Mastercard people about this detail, but. From what I gather, it's they say every every Mastercard cardholder globally, and there's apparently a billion of us. Um, every Mastercard cardholder will soon have an option to pay to use their Mastercard to pay via crypto. Now, I don't know we, that's going to probably take some time to get that ecosystem ready, but that is that is the plan. And uh, you know, I, and I think it's great. I think that's uh, that's we've. we've it's sort of been. T- it's funny because we've been talking about this for years, and it's really the the credit card companies that are really making this possible, which I don't think anyone's expected would happen. No, it'll be interesting if you can get re- rewards in Bitcoin. I think I just yep. heard about someone else kind of uh, uh, doing that and turning that into into rewards. I think it just makes uh, crypto become more mainstream, and so I think it's it's awesome. Yeah, and Great. Have- it's you know I think the only way. It becomes not only mainstream, but um, you know the regulators eventually um, figure out um, you know what to do is with the likes of Visa, Mastercard. I think it was uh, what was it a couple weeks ago, Pimco. Uh, like the stronger the financial institution that begin to get into the space, the more that they'll want clear guidance and understanding on the rules. I think fintechs are at a disadvantage in that way in that they don't have the power or the, you know, the, the lobbying uh, power to do so. But um, 
you know, and granted the rules maybe get skewed towards the, the traditional players a bit more, but at least that there's uh, clarity. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm reminded, I don't know if you remember that keynote that Tim Draper gave at, uh, at Lended, uh, I think it was 2018 from memory, yeah. uh, where he went like 20 minutes over time. He just was, he went on a rant um, mm-hmm. like he has wanted to do. Um, and he was taught, one thing I remember though, he said in five years time, you'll be able to pay with crypto anywhere. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was thinking, it's eh, possible, I guess. And then nothing happened for two years. Um, you know, two or three years, really. Nothing really happened. Although it's not going to happen. But now this is, I think he may end up being right. That- yeah, the only thing is, though, I, I wonder, right? There are so many people that really believe in just holding. So do you really want to But I mean, remember the joke about the people that bought the the pizzas that would now be worth, I, I don't even, at these prices now, they're yeah. like a billion dollars in Bitcoin. So I wonder how much people will really spend. Um, and is it really going to be used, like, to transact? um versus uh you know more and, and, and i think it goes into our next topic about like stable coins and do you want to just kind of hold something versus like actually keep spending it and using it and i think you also have a serious problem just with what they're doing with the taxes uh if if i'm paying for things in bitcoin and i keep going like in and out to fiat am i going to get taxed on each of those transactions yeah. up or down and like to kind of so that's the and I think it goes back to what Todd just said about like, you need regulatory clarity and it's not just going to be from like the SEC. You also have to have the IRS because if they're like literally going to charge you for each transaction, how you act you know, is going to change or you're going to have some other tech solutions that's going to have to. And there are some applications that are trying to track you about like when you're going in and out of things and how can you balance it so you make sure that you're reporting correctly. And I, so I think until we get that in place, I think it's really going to be hard though where it's like truly mainstream and people are transacting in these currencies right right you need every you need all the the regulatory and different government agencies to to kind of all begin to come together on um all the the different cascading effects that um you know one transaction could have um you know for whoever's doing it whether it's tax issues you know um sec issues i mean it's and it doesn't seem like they're very close to, to no. We are consensus we are ways, on that in any way. We are a ways away on on full consensus, but there is movement, and this is our next story. And this is the SEC. There is a new report that's coming out. They say this week, which you know this week is almost over, but they uh, say the report is coming out that is going to really detail how. Um, the government is going to regulate stablecoins, which is now worth apparently $131 billion, according to Business Insider. Um, and so but they're talking about the SEC taking the lead. They're also talking about the CFTC. Um, and, you know, I think this, I mean, the stablecoins is something that I think that's, that's how we're going to kind of get um, like the SEC is going to enter into crypto regulation through stablecoins is how it feels like to me. So. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, like I'm sensitive and it's very public of the SEC suing Ripple. I think uh, you may end up getting some regula- regulatory clarity off of that as well. Um, but the, they're, you know, and, and just talking to people, you know, in Vegas this week and when I was at Crypto Week in Miami, I think that's what's really holding back, uh, you know, crypto or DeFi really exploding here. And if the government doesn't move soon, I mean, people will set up shop other places and I've watched them set up shop other places. Yep. So hopefully, uh, hopefully between the SEC Ripple thing and the stable coin, uh, um, 
regulations that will end up moving forward. But I fear it's still going to be like years. And I know a lot of yeah. people in the community have tried to draft legislation or suggestions on how to, I mean, I've tried to draft regulation and suggestions on, on, on what to do. Um, and I think the government's just not there yet, right? Like you need to one, educate them on what this is, how it is for them to really understand it. And there's still very few people that do. And then once they understand it, then they can maybe choose about how to regulate it. And, and, and again, I think we're years away. Yeah, you're probably right, unfortunately. And I think, uh, as you said, there's already, I mean, it's happening right now. The, the crypto companies are, are, there's several that have decided to set up shop elsewhere and not even, not even really focused on the US market. Yeah, um, because because of of the of the uncertainty, they don't want to risk it. So, which is a shame, I think, for U.S. consumers. Um, and uh, I think it's you know, and the something. overall U.S. market. I mean, you have China that clamped down on theirs. Now you have the U.S. that just continues to kind of muddle along without clarity. Um, and soon enough, we're going to be left behind uh, if we don't figure out something because these companies. You know, there's a lot of innovation and a lot of really great thinking going on in the space, and we should be trying to tap into that versus become adverse to it. Yep, the smartest people always go where the opportunity is, and hopefully, yep. uh, the regulators here don't stifle yeah. that opportunity. Yeah, one thing I heard, I, I've watching, uh, listen, watching Brian Brooks speak this uh, this week at Money 2020, and he, you know, obviously the former OCC head, and he was saying it, it seems to me that like the regulators in Washington are very much like they they're not concerned necessarily about the end consumer. They're much more concerned about the, the incumbents. And so they're regulating to protect the incumbents rather than regulating to protect the consumer. And that's what, I mean, that's what a lot of the podcasts I listen to, they say, who are the SEC trying to protect? You know, you can go, you can put your life savings in Dogecoin right now and have no, uh, you know, I mean that, but, but that's been able to, have, that you've been able to do that for years now. With, and it's still like people are doing that, I, most people doing that are recognize that there is risk involved. And if you don't, I mean, you can still put your, all your money in a penny stock and lose it. Lose it you can go to, we were just in Vegas. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was you like, can yeah. go put 10 grand on roulette, lose yeah. it immediately. And that's totally fine. Yeah, I think it might be protecting the incumbents, but I think they're actually also just trying to protect the, the government, right? Like we have a lot of monetary policy here. And when you start having other currencies that like yep. become a major player with your own currency, I think it becomes harder to regulate. So I think they're just trying to figure out like how can can these things coexist coexist right. and how will this like affect like US monetary policy? That would be my guess of right. not just even protecting customers or the incumbents, but it's them protecting themselves. Good, good point. Good point, Kat. So, um, well, we need to move on. I want to end end today with a couple of uh, earnings uh, reports. We had uh, two. We had two. We're going to end with two different, very different reports. We first. What first up is Robinhood. Um, they reported this this week, and this is uh, you know you remember in Q two how crypto just went crazy. Doge went up to like seventy. 70 something cents and uh and 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 you know eth, eth and crypto eth and bitcoin hit all-time highs and so they they had huge amounts of crypto trading revenue 233 million dollars in crypto trading revenue in q2 q3 pretty quiet on the crypto front we've had a bit of a run-up in the last uh, few weeks but that this is that this is q4 obviously um 51 million down from 233 that's a pretty dramatic i mean it's a tough business to be in if you're making money off crypto trading because it is volatile uh, but the thing that struck me a net loss of 1.32 billion dollars which was much bigger 
than expected. And uh, yeah, Robinhood. I mean, it's going to take some. It's going to take some time. I think it's a, it's a tough. It's probably a really tough company to do analyst projections because, you know, you don't. And I think once once they once they have a few quarters under their belt, they'll probably get better at it. But, you know, a volatile company to say the least. Not much more to add on that one, Peter. You hit, <laughs> okay. it, you hit it right on you the head. You said it all. Okay. Well, then I'm going to. If it, we'll end with Lending Club. Uh, Lending Club had a, an excellent earnings report up, uh, the originations up 14% to 3.1 billion. Revenues, 246 million, which is just a hair below a billion dollar run rate, um, annual run rate. So they, you know, the stock is up 33% today. It closed Comeback up. story. Yep. It's comeback a comeback story. story. You know, I, I sold my Lending Club shares when they hit 25, thinking this is, you know, I, I've been holding on for, for since the IPO. And I thought that, that was and that was that was a mistake. They're not like forty something. But uh, you know, what's, what's funny about Lending Club is not only you know, obviously they the stock has come back, the company's rebounded. They bought uh, Radius Bank, mm-hmm. but the other thing I noticed about them is that they've been less public than they used to be. They used to make a lot more announcements. They used to be a lot more in the press, uh, and now it seems like they've reversed that did the acquisition and now have kind of their heads down for a while. And it's clearly paid off in how the company's performing uh, from where it was, you know, what year and a half, two years ago where it was down. I think it got all the way down to below $5 at one point. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's impressive what they built. And and I think it's a good example of that. You can come back. I am worried about how much consumer credit people are taking out and they have more, as we just started with, they have more options than ever. And then yeah. they're also investing savings into, you know, via Robinhood into like Dogecoin. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I can't, I kind of can't blame the regulators for being a little nervous about what happens in this ecosystem, because you do have a lot of people, I think that are probably hyperextended, um, and then uh, you have them investing uh, in things that might not be good enough for retirement. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how next year or two uh, goes and what happens if we hit any kind of type of, uh, you know, it, how, how real this uh, hyperinflation is, which it seems like it might be coming. Um, and it seems like it might be less transitory than it thinks, you know, than, than they initially thought. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that affects everything in fintech. Right. Well, one interesting thing from their earnings presentation that Lending Club said they they're now looking at a total addressable market of a trillion dollars in 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 loans that can be refinanced. Now that that includes auto as well as as well as consumer credit, and uh, you know the, they clearly have some room to run. The thing I'm just I've been disappointed with Lending Club in the on the investor side, like all the investors. I, that's how I really started in this space was as an investor with Lending Club and. They've done nothing um, for the investors since they closed. They announced the closing down the retail platform. It closed down you know, ten months, eleven or you know, ten months ago, and I, I, I like I, they haven't really announced anything new. And I know they've been focused on the integration with the bank, and that's uh, that seems to be going pretty well. They're they're back. They're they're back. They're 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 at uh, what would be I would say a multi um, you know, multi year high right now. Um, but I'd like to see more actual product innovation. I think we haven't seen much out of Lending Club with that. And I think that's, uh, I hope that will be forthcoming. Anyway, that's our time. We are out of time. Kat, thank you very much. It's always great to have you on. Uh, Todd, thanks as always. Back, 
Yep. Nice and to see you guys. Have a good yep. weekend. Yep, you, you too. too. We'll, we will be, we'll be back here same time next week. And before we go, just a quick plug uh, for our LATAM event happening December 7th and 8th, uh, where we'll, it's, it's still the hottest region in fintech in the world. And we'll be all gathering in Miami or online on December 7th and 8th. So check it out, lindit.com. With that, I will bid you farewell and we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody.